The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What are the most successful change leaders of today doing that makes them stand out? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is this week's host. Good morning and welcome. I'm your host, Kate Ebner, and I'm delighted today to introduce you to our guest. Her name is Jennifer Green. She's a CEO and co-founder of an organization called Urban Teachers. Jennifer is a veteran urban educator of 25 years. Her career has focused on improving classroom instruction. Before launching Urban Teachers, she was the director of curriculum and instruction for Baltimore City's public high schools. And in this role, she observed firsthand the disparity in the quality of teaching from classroom to classroom. Today, um, Jennifer is embarking on a big endeavor to expand urban teachers to increase the impact her organization is having in training and preparing teachers who can bring excellence in education to kids in urban schools around the country. We're going to be talking today about what they're doing. We're going to talk about what it's like to lead that kind of growth and expansion and a little bit more about um, the mission of urban teachers. I want to say welcome this morning. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Happy to be here, Kate. So, Jennifer, you and I have um, had the good fortune to, to, to talk prior to this, and I have a real sense that you and we could, with a lot of ground we could cover here today. I think I would love to just um, start by letting people learn more about you. And I've said a little bit by way of introduction, but how did you come to do this important work of um, developing teachers for the classrooms, the teachers we need? I started as a teacher 25 years ago this summer with an organization called Teach for America. You may have heard of it. Um, And I taught high school uh, English, ninth grade English. I saw 150 students a day after about five weeks of training. And at the end of that year, I was named best new high school teacher in the parish, in the the school system. (laughs) And I was astonished because um, it had been a very, very challenging year, as you can imagine. And I knew that I had not served students particularly well. And so I had thought that that was sort of my personal issue. Um, And when I won any kind of an award for my, my practice, I thought, oh, wow, there's some much bigger challenge afoot than just what's happening in my own classroom. And that really set me on a 25-year journey um, of thinking about what does really good teaching practice look like um, and what's the change theory that sits behind how you scale uh, that transformation. I think we too often think of great teaching as this really idiosyncratic act um, rather than sort of great teaching as a profession that can be codified and then spread across even... um, 
challenging school systems like the ones in which we work, Baltimore and D.C. And so seven years ago with a colleague, I stepped out from a job in central office, having decided to um, run an organization that really rethought how we prepared teachers for urban schools in particular, and also rethought the ways that we hold them accountable for becoming very proficient new teachers. Thank you for sharing that, actually, Jennifer. It's, um, it's a great to understand um, the, where the insight came from about what was needed and what you've done since. And tell us more about the work of urban teachers. You know, when you came together, I can't believe it was, I, I can't decide if I should say if it was only seven years ago or it was already seven years ago. But, <laughs> um, but um, what, 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 what does urban teachers do? We ask individuals from around the country who have a bachelor's degree uh, to make a four-year commitment to teach in an urban school system. We currently work in Baltimore, D.C., and the Dallas-Fort Worth region. Um, And we take primarily non-education majors, so people with a liberal arts background or a math background. Um, And when they enter our program, they co-enroll in a master's program with Johns Hopkins University. They spend 14 months, their first year with us, in what we think of as a clinical residency. So if you think about a medical residency, and some of your listeners might be familiar with that, where you have an apprenticing uh, teacher working side-by-side with more of a master or veteran teacher um, who's helping them with their practice. Um, And during that year, our participants, um, what we call our residents, are working in their schools from 7 to 3, Then they are going to um, their master's coursework with Johns Hopkins from kind of 4 to 7 or 4 to 8 at night, going back to their homes, planning for the next day, and completing their coursework assignments, which are clinically based. Um, So they have a very long, very grueling 14 months. We take one in four of our applicants who are a very selective program, and we lose about 20% of our residents during that year. So that once the residence year is completed um, and they become teachers in the classroom with a three-year commitment, they're really and truly prepared to serve children well. What happens during that residency? What is it that that they're learning? Mm -hmm. We think that um, teaching is craft work. um, And then the best way that you learn to become a teacher is by teaching. But at the same time, we have such a commitment to do no harm in the classroom. Um, What we know from research is that, on average, most first-year teachers um, tend to have a negative impact on student learning. In other words, if you have a child in the classroom who's in third grade and they have a first-year teacher, they're likely not going to be quite prepared for fourth grade the next year. And that's just sort of the luck of the draw. You know, we we think of it as the new teacher lottery. So in that first year, we provide our residents with every tool in their toolkit, classroom management, how do you diagnose student needs, how do you pull small groups, how do you plan to standards, what do you do when kids aren't learning. Um, You know, we really equip them to work very closely with children. They do about 10 weeks where they are the teacher in charge, and that starts first semester, um, but with their, uh, their host teacher, their mentor teacher in the classroom with them. And then their coursework in the evenings is clinically based. I went to Harvard, 
was fortunate to go there and get a master's of education. But that coursework was very theoretical. The way that I learned about diagnosing students was to read about a bunch of diagnostic tools and then write a paper about what I thought. Our residents learn, um, they're introduced to an assessment in their coursework, and then they go give, for example, that reading assessment to one child the next day. They'll take an audio recording of that assessment, bring it into class and analyze the data in the company of their peers and with faculty support, build a teaching plan, teach it. It's a very, very integrated clinical um, coursework model that really builds skills and tools and competencies. It's very practice-based with a lot of theory kind of following behind. You mentioned that 20% will drop out of the residency. Is that, um, I, I think that's probably probably typical of intensive programs like this, but also potentially a good thing in, in the sense that your PS people are really making the commitment or understanding what it, what's involved. Maybe it gets more clear for them whether this is the right program. Uh, I'm curious about your thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that that sounds like a, a high number, um, and it's a number that we've come to terms with. It's not a bar that we set. We don't look to release 20% of folks from the profession, but that's, that's what we are finding on average. And I suppose if you think about <clears throat> training pilots, for example, <laughs> you would want the airline industry to make sure that those pilots could fly and land the plane every time they were responsible for doing so. Um, we think about teaching with just that level of seriousness. There really are lives that are at stake. If children have uh, three years of new teacher or an inexperienced teacher in a row, they lose a full year of classroom instruction. Um, and we also know that in our urban schools in particular, they have very little hope of catching up. Um, and so we are impacting life outcomes and life trajectories, and we take that job very, very seriously. We lead with a ton of support for our residents. Um, in addition to all of the coursework and the year-long residency, our faculty actually go in and coach them side-by-side side in the classroom for the first three years of their commitment. It extends well beyond what is typical um, in terms of support for new teachers. We also place them as uh, groups of teachers and residents in a school so that they have a peer community to rely on. So this isn't, um, we don't lead with the accountability, but we for sure follow up when people's practice is not progressing the way that it should be. You know, I, I, it's, it makes so much sense as you're describing it, and it seems like exactly what is needed. I'm, I'm curious, how does someone get into the program? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an online application process. We're looking for individuals with a 3.0 GPA, they would go right to our website at urbanteachers.org um, and begin that application process. And then we have a whole recruitment team that is very hands-on with our interested applicants and, and can provide a lot of support throughout the process. So you just apply, and then assuming that you meet the criteria, this is an opportunity that, that a, anyone with a, a, a strong GPA and a, a good, solid education can can get into. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, we mm-hmm. also do a, a digital interview um, mm-hmm. where an individual is responding to a set of questions, 
and we're looking for clarity of communication and clarity of thought and how mission-driven they are. And then um, everybody who makes it to the third stage comes in for a, a sort of case-based interview day in teams, and we hold those all over the country for interested applicants. Um, so it is a multi-step process. We are very committed to finding people who meet a high academic standard, have demonstrable commitment to children and youth, um, and um, are really open to feedback and to continuous learning, which is a, a dispositional trait or set of traits that are really important to success in this profession and probably success in anything. Thank you for explaining that. I'm, I'm sure there are people listening who are thinking, I know somebody or maybe I would like to, to get involved and apply for this. So, that, so I'm glad you laid that out. Um, could you tell us a story, Jennifer, about the difference that this has made for, for a particular teacher? Absolutely. I was talking with one of our third-year teachers um, this early this summer. She's finished her residency and her three-year commitment, and she's continuing to teach in the classroom next year as many of our four-year completers do. And she told me the story of a boy who was in her class. At the beginning of the year, he was a child who refused to read and wouldn't write. Typically, that's the kind of student who would be overlooked um, in our urban schools and dealt with as a problem. But because of her training, she was able to diagnose his issues as a reader. She was able to provide targeted one-on-one support to this student, Um, And as I dug in a little bit deeper with her, she told me that she had called his mother three times a week with good news. Whatever she could find that was working better, she would call him and say, look, here's what your son did today. Let's celebrate that. And this was a parent who already was used to getting negative feedback from the school. Um, At the end of the year, um, she told me that this child was on grade level in reading and becoming a proficient writer. And she pulled out her phone and showed me a text from the mother, which said, you are the most extraordinary teacher that I have met as I've been raising my children. And if only all teachers were, were um, like you are, you know, if only our, all teachers cared as much as you do. Thank you for everything you've done for my son. Um, our mission here at Urban Teachers is to equip our teachers to serve every single child in their classroom. It's not good enough if we can meet the needs of 20 of 30 of them. Um, It's essential that our teachers can really serve their full population. And so um, we have many, many teachers like this one who can share stories like that. I think that's a wonderful story. It's it's such a great example. And, um, you know, when you tell that story, are there things about that story that um, you can trace back to the to the training and, and um, residency that they experienced, you know, can you name anything she did that, that was really aligned with what you teach? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the hallmarks of our program is that our participants become dual licensed. So what that means is that they get their, their regular licensing in their subject area, let's say early childhood or elementary or high school math but 100% of our teachers also receive their special education certification. And what that special ed certification gives them is the ability to do really deep diagnostic work with really sophisticated instruments to understand the challenges that children are having in reading and in math in particular. They also are very well trained to support the emotional social needs of students. So, for example, at the beginning of the year, 
we have our residents follow a child with an IEP, a child who has been diagnosed as having learning differences um, and who's getting additional support. And our teachers shadow that student all day um, and watch to see where is this child in settings that support her learning and where is she acting out or not engaged or struggling with the learning. But what we want our teachers to understand is that Students respond to the conditions that we put in front of them. It's not that a child is a bad child or that a child can't read. It's that there's, there are settings in which children are going to be more and less successful, and as adults, we're responsible for setting those environments up and giving children the appropriate learning opportunities. So a big part of our preparation is, first of all, giving teachers the mindset that adults can um, be very impactful in student learning. Too often, unfortunately, what we hear in schools is adults talking about kids from a deficit model. They can't because they're from a broken home. Oh, they can't because their dad's in jail, etc. Mm-hmm. So part one is, yes, they can, and in fact, it's your responsibility fully um, in, in collaboration with the school and the parents, of course, but it's your responsibility to lead instruction And then we follow with, and what are the tools that are going to make sure that you are, you can successfully deliver on that commitment. You know, we're going to take a break right now, Jennifer. For those listening, I'm speaking with Jennifer Green, the CEO and co-founder of Urban Teachers. We're going to come back after the break, Jennifer, and I'm hoping we can actually talk a lot more about what it takes to be a great teacher. Thank you for being with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer three cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, and a Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. 
If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. Welcome back once again. I'm Kate Ebner. My guest today is Jennifer Green. We're talking about how to really make a difference in the school system by working with teachers. Jennifer is the co-founder of Urban Teachers. Among other things that she's done that we've been talking about, she was the director for high school reform for the Fund for Educational Excellence, managing a $22 million grant from the Gates Foundation. She taught high school in New Orleans, Boston, and Baltimore. She's talked a little bit already about her career with Teach for America, which is how she got started. And it's probably worth mentioning that in 2004, Jennifer was named by the Baltimore Business Journal as one of Baltimore City's top 40 under 40. She is someone who's absolutely determined to bring better education through better teaching um, to kids in urban settings. Um, Jennifer, before the break, we were talking about um, your program and the residency, what what teachers learn. I want to start us up now with a quote that you said to me that I wrote down and I thought, you know, this is really an important statement and I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say anything so strongly in support of teachers. Um, You said, I want people to understand how challenging the work of a teacher is and how meaningful and impactful and the extent to which teaching is sophisticated intellectual work. Whether you're working with a group of kindergartners or advanced high school seniors, it's the most rigorous, highly stimulating profession this country has to offer. And that statement just rings, I think, with your passion and your commitment. And it also really flies in the face of um, those who, you know, there's that terrible old saying, you know, those who can do, those who can't teach. And I'm the daughter of teachers and sister and grandchild of teachers. And I've always bristled at the criticism teachers receive. I love that you are positioning teaching as uh, the opportunity that it truly is, um, not only for the students in the classroom, but actually also for the professionals who are stepping into the profession. I'd like to just invite you to expand a little bit on your comment about why you think teaching is such sophisticated, intellectual, and stimulating work. Yes, well, you'd have to sort of take a day in the life of a teacher and understand that Instead of seeing one patient at a time, uh, teachers see 30 and sometimes 35. And if they're, let's say, a sixth grade elementary school teacher, they're seeing children who read between, uh, let's say, sometimes second grade level and 10th, 11th grade level. And they have to build instruction that is appropriate to the needs of their children. They are constantly making real-time adjustments building on the teachable moment, but also teaching against the game plan that they have developed for that day. They're identifying curricular tools and resources. If they're great teachers, they're mapping those to the specific needs of their children. They're working in whole group settings. They're pulling small groups. They're managing students, but invisibly through routines and rituals and norms that they've set up at the beginning of the school year. They're navigating the crises of adolescence that a 12-year-old or 13-year-old is bringing into the classroom. Um, you know, if they're in urban districts in particular, they are navigating the impacts of firsthand trauma on children and for themselves as teachers, the impact of secondhand trauma, watching children that you care deeply about um, uh, struggle with some uh, very challenging issue. I, I don't know any teacher who is untouched by children who have experienced the loss of a parent or a brother or a sister in the cities in which we work. It is 
pervasive. Um, it's physically demanding. You get very few breaks as teachers. You're planning with your colleagues to make sure that teachers have a consistent experience up and down the grade level. You are taking bundles of work home to give children meaningful feedback, and you don't have time to do that during the day. If you're a great teacher, you're making phone calls to parents, both about what you're concerned about, but also really positive phone calls home. Um, teaching fills so much time and takes really takes such intellectual and physical and emotional stamina. Um, I think that, as I said, um, teaching is one of the most challenging professions we have to offer. And in many, many other countries that, by the way, are outpacing us on student outcomes, teaching is a highly elevated, uh, deeply respected field. We've got a long way to go in our country toward that goal. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that perspective. And I, I think it um, uh, so important for us to hear from you about this and for, for all of us uh, in the various roles we play in life, whether it's a parent or um, grandparent or uh, aunt or uncle or community member or citizen to really think about um, this opportunity we have to really develop teaching as a profession. Um, I know right now you're in the midst of growing urban teachers, Jennifer, and you're expanding. And I'm curious, you know, from a leadership perspective, it's a big challenge to enter a new city or new market to actually scale up and bring a program um, to to another region. How is that going? <laughs> Um, I would say the the headline is that it's going well. We have launched in the Dallas-Fort Worth region this year our first expansion site in our seventh year of operation with 80 new residents. This year overall we doubled from 100 residents um, last year to 200 residents across three cities this year. Um, but we're on a very, very steep learning curve and working hard to make sure that our team in Dallas-Fort Worth feels set up for success. So a lot of learning, a lot of um, ready, fire, aim kind of work going on, um, uh, and um, a lot of kind of hard work. We're very physically present in, ta- in Dallas, our national team, to make sure that um, – that we're building effective teachers, which means right now providing effective support and growing a really capable team. I'm curious about the the, the regional nature of it, and I know you're in Baltimore, you're in D.C., um, now you're in Texas, and, you know, as you work in different geographies, are, are the issues the same everywhere, or are there things you really have to take into account that are more local? Mm-hmm. I would say the issues are both the same and different. So the kids are the same. The kids are wonderful, resilient, curious, a joy to work with. Um, The politics are different in each city. And and in some ways, uh, the student needs can vary. So in Texas, we are, of course, seeing much higher English as a second um, language population uh, than we have here in in, Texas. in the mid-Atlantic regions. Um, So that has stretched us to add new certifications and training modules to make sure that our teachers can serve those um, ELL, ESL children. The politics are very, very different. And by that, I mean D.C. has 
about 50% of their students in charter schools and the other half in in, in um, the public school system, their public charters. But so in D.C., uh, even as D.C. is the same size as Baltimore, we're working with effectively 15 to 20 different school systems because each charter school or charter network is its own school system. That is a very different set of operating opportunities and constraints than in Baltimore City, which is a city of comparable size, where everything ties under one local superintendent and an appointed board. In Dallas, there is an elected board, um, and those boards work very differently than um, appointed boards in many instances. So we're very humble and know that we have to learn a lot about any new context in which we work. We try to find local people. Um, our executive director in Dallas, Emily Nolan, has a daughter in the um, school system. Um, so when she gave her opening address to our residents, she said, you know, one of you or a couple of you might be teaching my daughter. <laughs> and so this is, I take this very personally, um, as we all do. Uh, so I would say um, I would say there's a lot to learn in each context, um, e- even as many of the core issues are are constant. Thank you for that perspective. It's it's a, an impressive um, endeavor, and I think one that's really going to make a difference. Um, you know. You, your website and Urban Teachers often uh, makes the statement, uh, every child deserves a great teacher. And I'm kind of curious to hear you talk about what does every teacher deserve? Mm-hmm. That is such a great question, and I really appreciate it. I would say every teacher deserves a respectful, supportive, and transparent environment. Um, so by respectful, what I mean is, This job is so, so challenging, and we put so many demands on our teachers, um, and so we have to create the conditions in which they can be successful, Um, and that's um, where I would say, in terms of building those supportive conditions, that starts with, do teachers have a doable job? In other words, 150 children in a day is not a doable job. Um, so are we setting up school schedules and staffing and taking into account teacher load? Are we giving teachers preparation time? Do teachers have to pay out of their own pockets for simple supplies like paper and um, chalk? I mean, a lot of our schools still have blackboards. So uh, to what extent are we taxing and overtaxing our teachers by placing um, overwhelming demands on them, but not providing commensurate support. And then I also think too often, uh, again, in the districts that I have familiarity with, we tell teachers they're doing a good job, uh, whether they are or not. And that's not good for our top performers, and it's not good for our bottom performers. So um, that burns out people who are really working hard and genuinely moving the needle with children. Um, and it floats, it carries along people who, who should be working to either improve their practice or exit. Um, and, and I can tell you concretely that in many of our urban systems, fewer than 1% of teachers are rated unsatisfactory annually, and sometimes it's lower than 0.5%. So we really don't bring a level of transparency either of expectations or of how people are doing against those outcomes, and that's patently unfair both for teachers and for the children they teach. 
You know, it reminds me of something you said about how, you know, what you're looking for as you interview candidates for this opportunity. And you said, looking for people who are open to receiving and learning from feedback. And I w- I'm curious about that. You know, the, it sounds like as a nation, we're not very good at giving real feedback to our, our teachers. We're not really good at helping them understand and achieve against the standards that we're laying out. Um, and maybe it's a distinction again in what you're doing that there's an emphasis on um, teachers learning you know learning from feedback and I'm curious like what what what's the kind of feedback that you think teachers need especially in the first couple years as they're getting their feet under them Mm -hmm. Um, so our feedback ranges from what we call real-time feedback where, which is typically provided around classroom management issues and strategies where the teacher will be in the front of the classroom and her faculty coach will be in the back of the classroom with a little microphone. And the teacher will have that sort of what we call bug-in-the-ear technology. So imagine a news anchor sitting at a news desk having um, somebody sort of talking to them that's invisible to the audience as they're talking to the national audience. So we do the same thing. Um, And what we will do with um, teachers, when you come in, your instincts around classroom management tend to be exactly the opposite of what works. So your instincts are sort of wrong. When kids get loud, you get loud. In fact, you should get quiet. New teachers tend to call out bad behavior, which calls the entire class's attention to what Jennifer's not doing. Instead, you want to do what we call positively narrate. Um, And what we've learned over time is that giving that feedback, in particular about classroom management after the fact, is not as impactful in changing behavior as giving it in real time, quietly, respectfully. We explain to the children what we're doing. You know, oh, Ms. Green is learning too. We're all learning together. So you'll see the coach in the back of the classroom. And at first that feels very uncomfortable, but very quickly our residents become acclimated to um, getting feedback in real time. Then we do much more traditional feedback where um, after the lesson is completed, the resident meets with her faculty coach with evidence of student learning. So one of the techniques that our faculty use often is verbatim transcripting of, of children's talk because that's such evidence of whether kids are learning or not. And we pull samples from children that are below level, on level, and above level to really focus on this question of, I taught it, but did the children get it? Because it's really not taught until I know that I've met the needs of these learners in different places. Um, So a lot of our focus outside of classroom management is actually a little bit less about the teaching practice and a little bit more focused on the evidence of student learning. And then what you find is new teachers can, from there, find a path to what they need to improve. They're very reflective if you provide the conditions for that reflection. Jennifer, it sounds like Urban Teachers takes a long view when it comes to preparing and developing teachers, that your program itself is over four years. Um, It's so rich in feedback and actually showing teachers how to think about success as a teacher. I'm interested in this idea that um, this isn't a quick kind of five-week training like the one you experienced when you were a new teacher. Um, Why is the long view necessary? Why do you need a multi-year program? 
you have to play a long game in this work because, precisely because teaching is such complex intellectual work, and it takes a long time to refine skills. We're big fans of the literature on what it takes to become an expert in something, which seems to have codified around this idea that it takes about 10,000 hours of practice to become expert. And it's not 10,000 hours just in the boat rowing. It's 10,000 hours where you are kind of at the edge of your practice, like on the border of failure, pushing yourself to your limits, aspiring to that next place um, to go uh, with feedback. Um, And our residency year only provides as extensive as it is, about 1,500 hours of preparation. And so in my opening day remarks every year to our residents, I say to them, you're on a long path to, to gaining expertise, but, um, but really the goal is to be a continuous learner um, and very, very open to improving your practice. That's, that's what it truly takes to become effective. And if that's what your goal is, I only know one path toward toward that expertise, which is taking a long path. Thank you, Jennifer. We're going to take a break right now. We'll be back in a moment for our last segment. This is Kate Ebner. You're listening to Inside Transformational Leadership. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Founded in 2012, The Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer three cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, and the Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email itlprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. Listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. Welcome back. I'm having a conversation today with Jennifer Green. She is the CEO and co-founder of Urban Teachers. We've learned so much from you today, Jennifer, and um, I'd like to ask you about um, 
how you stay focused. I mean, as you're, as I'm listening to what you're doing and the depth of perspective that you have and obviously the passion, um, you're operating on so many levels, um, building this curriculum for teachers, rolling it out across different geographies, um, building partnerships, um, and growing an organization all at once. I'm curious about how you um, manage yourself and stay focused in your daily efforts. Uh, I fail regularly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I have um, three children, uh, all school age, and a husband who runs a company. And so for me, that question, and I think for, for just about everyone who would be listening, that question is both about managing self in work and also kind of managing life-work balance. Um, But what I'll say specifically to the work question is um, I work with my board. I have a great board, and I'm very fortunate for that, um, to set annual priorities um, as part of a sort of three-year strategic planning process that we do. Um, And then I set quarterly goals that I whiteboard out and keep in very large print in my office. And then I set weekly goals for myself. Um, And I check in with my assistant at the beginning of the week about those goals and typically at the end of the week or I do a self-reflection. It is, of course, very easy to be driven by the urgent and not the important. Um, And um, I often am, but I also work very hard to stay focused on what are the big rocks that I have to move within each week, month to month, year to year. I think that's a great a great tip. Uh, I really liked hearing your strategy. And I'm curious about, you know, from a leadership perspective, how are you keeping people aligned and on track with you? Mm-hmm. I am so fortunate to work in such a mission-driven organization and um, have really benefited uh, from bringing in incredible talent that is very knowledgeable about um, this domain, um, but also just so, so committed. So the challenge that I have is less about steering the ship toward what the goal is, which is making sure that every child in each city in which we work has a great teacher every single year. Um, and it's more about making sure that people are actually stepping back from the work sometimes and attending to their lives and um, making sure folks have the stamina to stay in this work for the long haul. Um, but more technically, I mean, I we do internal um, kind of podcasts on a quarterly basis. We bring our whole team in three times a year. Um, and then I work very closely with a team of managers on messaging and what the goals are, hearing about their goals. So we, we do a lot of work around message alignment. And still, you know, still there are too many times where I hear back from the field, oh, I, I don't know what our current priorities are. So I always remind myself it's not enough to have taught it if they don't, you know, learn it. So I drink my own Kool-Aid. So we're always <laughs> working to think about how to keep everybody headed toward the same specific North Star. We're all clear what, what North, what true North is. It's, it's kind of underneath of that that we've, we've always got work to do. I'm curious about um, your definition of success, you know, and, and maybe that definition of success is that North Star. I'm not sure, but, uh, you know, as you, as you think about the future that you're working toward, um, how will you know you've gotten there? What is it that, what is that vision? Yeah. I mean, we really do have a very district and city uh, focused strategy. And so 
we are, as we talked about earlier, playing a very long game. With 10 to 15 years in a city, I really want our teachers to be 40 to 50% of the teacher workforce. Um, and what we start to see as schools have 10, 12, 15 of our teachers is that the culture in schools starts to evolve and improve um, and student outcomes start to improve. Um, and so we are looking to help schools and school systems um, continue to build their teacher workforce so that every teacher has that, uh, is a great teacher. Um, and, and that really is genuinely what success looks like. And then there are lots of inputs underneath of that so that we know if we're on or off track. But, um, but that's what we think every child deserves, and that's what we're working hard to deliver on. You know, I, I, um, I'm, I'm struck, you know, the more I learn about you and your organization by the, uh, you call it the sort of mission-centeredness of what you're doing, um, I'm curious about, um, I don't know, I, 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 guess, I guess my curiosity is really, what is it like to be a part of this? I mean, what is it like for the teachers who, are, who become part of the program? What is it like to be part of the staff? Um, could you just describe for us kind of the culture uh, within urban teachers and, with, and for those who are really benefiting from it? Mm-hmm. I would say from the resident and teacher perspective, there's a cycle. And teaching itself is very cyclical. And so during the residency year, when our residents are really working 14, 16-hour days, and they're doing that for 14 months at a stretch, and by the way, they're making $20,000 in that year, so they are humble enough to know that they um, need to invest in themselves, but they're also committed enough to earn an income that's really barely um, a living income in that year. Um, And during that year, um, they all get strep throat in October, and they all get bronchitis in March. They start incredibly optimistic. By November, they feel like, oh, my God, there's so much I have to learn. I'm sick. I'm exhausted. Um, This comes on such a rhythm, such a predictable rhythm. And then by September, when they are the first-year teacher of record in their classroom, they get so many emails that say, wow, I had no idea how well-prepared I was. Um, I get stories all the time of our teachers after school hosting little get-togethers for other new teachers in their grade or in their department who come in and weep around, I can't manage this class, or I don't know how to plan, or I can't keep up with the work. So once they get through that residency year, they're on a pretty solid trajectory to feel well-equipped to teach children. Um, organizationally, our, our norms focus on um, continuously improving. You know, we, we have as one of our core values that our work can always improve and and really improves with a a focus on data. And so we try to hold ourselves accountable. We feel a two-way accountability to the teachers that we serve. So they're certainly accountable to children and to improving their practice, but we are equally accountable to them to provide a high level of support consistently. Um, Our team... um, focuses on serving children. That's, that's our big goal. And so we step back often and ask, you know, 
Are we making decisions for the comfort of adults or are we making decisions that are going to have a positive impact on children? Those two things are not mutually exclusive, but, but certainly our number one priority is positive impact with children. Um, we also have a big focus on providing direct and real-time feedback informally. I find that that's such a building block toward growing a healthy culture. Um, and we've done a lot of work on what is quality feedback. We give our residents and teachers so much feedback, we try to hold ourselves to that same standard of being open to feedback and continuous improvement. And then last, as I said, um, we, we say that we live fun, full lives. <laughs> we certainly live full lives, um, uh, but we, we, we honestly do try to um, enable people to have a career in this work that is so marked by burnout. Um, and uh, that's a continuous work in progress, too. But I think working here is joyful and happy and in the company of good adults where we make hiring mistakes, we move on fairly quickly. It's a supportive environment. We really care about one another, and we very, very much care about our teachers. You know, I really want to go back to the beginning with my next question, and it, it relates to what you said at the start about being teacher of the year after your first year and feeling like you knew you hadn't served students as well as you would have liked and um, and your sense that the, that the training you received was insufficient to the need. You know, so I, I go back to that time and think of you, a new teacher saying, this isn't, this isn't enough, this isn't working. And then fast forward to the present moment where you're really building this important um, four-year program to really train and prepare teachers in our urban centers. And I want to, I want to call out for you, Jennifer, um, that you are, you are what we call a visionary leader. You're someone who saw something in the future that could be better. And now you're deeply in the process of building it. And I, I wonder, you know, as you look back to that younger version of you, um, are you satisfied with the path you've taken? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I never would have envisioned this path. I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. Um, uh, I saw myself as a lifelong educator, so I've had a lot of learning to do and, and continue to have a lot of learning to do about what it means to run a business that is scaling and has now a $15 million budget and is operating in three cities. Um, but I have forever been interested in children and the needs of children, and this is another expression of that. And when I want to get, uh, when I miss being with kids, um, I go right into the field. I mean, I am in the field a lot. Uh, I want to see what our teachers are doing, and it also is... Um, nourishing to me um, to to see the work of children and and adults. Um, But absolutely, this was the path I was meant to be on. Well, I am so happy that you've um, been able to share so much of this with us today. And I'd love to invite you to kind of close as we come into our final moments with just another story about the impact Urban Teachers is having for kids. Is there some child out there or some, some... example that could once again illuminate how this is working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one easy one is after the Baltimore City riots a year ago, um, our teachers called, so many of them called every single child in their classroom, and not because we sent out a bulletin saying, hey, check on your kids, but as I went and connected with our teachers, they had checked in to make sure that their children felt safe 
and weren't out on the streets, especially for our middle and high school um, students. Um, they have a passion for kids that goes well beyond just teaching them. They wanted to make sure they were safe and beyond that, that they felt okay, that they weren't scared, and they took that very, very personally. And then because of the relationships that our teachers build with their students, really trusting relationships, over the course of the next couple of weeks, I heard story after story of the ways in which children were being allowed to talk about how they experienced the riots in Baltimore or the riots elsewhere or the fact that so many black men are being shot or the murder of so many policemen in Dallas. Um, We gave children the space to really grapple with what they were experiencing and feeling. And um, I saw letters to the editor that the whole class had written with their differing opinions. Um, Teachers turned um, math the riots into a math lesson about job opportunities and economics in the city for their middle school students. Um, there's a real um, there's a real commitment to caring for the whole child. And uh, I felt like after the riots, I know we're doing good work. I know it by the data, but after the riots, I, I felt it at such a deep level. Uh. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, Jennifer, how can those who are listening who'd like to learn more or possibly even apply for your program uh, find out more about it? Can you just share some of the um, your website address and some of your contact information? Mm-hmm. Yes. The best way to learn more about Urban Teachers is go to our website, which is www.urbanteachers.org. And there you can apply to become a resident Um, And we have more demand from our districts than we can um, fill. And so even as our applicants have been increasing, we need more applicants. So please do get the word out. That's the most important um, help that we could receive. Also, we, we regularly raise money. So if you have an interest in making a contribution, you can, again, go to our website and click that Donate button. And the last thing I will say is, as a swing for the fences, we need to continue to grow our board so that it reflects business people who have experience in scaling sizable organizations. We need to grow from 15 to $50 million and are really in um, right now in um, deep into looking for and vetting potential board members with that skill set. So getting the word about, out about that or if you have you yourself have that experience and are interested, um, you can reach me at jennifer.green at, at urbanteachers.org. My guest today has been Jennifer Green. You've just heard a lot about what she's doing, why she's doing it, and the difference that it's making. And I know that um, many of us are looking for organizations to get involved with or ways to actually make a difference. And I think, um, Jennifer, you've really given us uh, a great example of an organization that's making a big difference. I hope maybe somebody out there will take you up on your the opportunities that you've outlined there. Um, Thank you, Jennifer, for joining me today. I have so enjoyed our conversation and have learned so much from you. Thank you so much, Kate. I appreciate this opportunity. And to everyone listening, have a great week.
Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.